What is up, guys? I hope everybody is having an awesome Memorial Day weekend. Uh, of course, I am happy to report that my weekly buy of Bitcoin came in at Swan Bitcoin. Feels so good. They are the simplest, lowest cost, automatic. I just get notified that I have more Bitcoin. They just let me know, and it just happens. They are the best place to stack Bitcoin for our sound money future. SwanBitcoin.com slash guy is the place you want to go. Show some love for Bitcoin Audible. Show some love for Swan Bitcoin and yourself. You know, get, get your Bitcoin savings in order. Get it done. Get it set and be done with it at SwanBitcoin.com slash guy. So we got a really fun chat today. Um, I was on a panel at the Value of Bitcoin conference uh, and it was really, really cool. Um, it was hosted by John Vallis. I'm sure many of you know that guy uh, from Bitcoin Rapid Fire. Um, awesome podcast if you haven't checked it out. Um, and features, uh, I was on the panel, Marty Bent, uh, Elizabeth Prefontaine, Alex Gladstein, and Brady from Citizen Bitcoin. I know you all know him too. Just, just an awesome discussion. And it was on the global Bitcoin renaissance. So we're just going to go ahead and jump right into this, uh, and I think you guys will really enjoy this. So here we go. Yo. Alex. What's up? Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm good. All right. So everyone's good. Just a quick little sound check. Say your name. Guy. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. <laughs> Alex. <laughs> all right. We're all... We're, we're all good. We're all good. Um, all right, guys, we'll, we'll just get get rolling into this. First of all, uh, thank you all for your time <clears throat> in joining us today. Uh, I've been super pumped, so I probably didn't sleep as well as I uh, I would have liked in, in, out of my excitement for this. But uh, yesterday we did a panel called The Bitcoin Renaissance, The Individual. And the purpose of that panel was to explore the ways in which Bitcoin changes people as a result of engaging with it or understanding uh, it more. And I wanted to do that because as much as I love the monetary and financial and historical side of this whole domain, I think what Bitcoin represents ultimately is a tool for changing behavior in what behavior it either limits or or permits. And so I think the revolution is, is us and our behavior. And I wanted to explore that in yesterday's panel. In today's panel, I kind of want to look at what the aggregate manifestation of that behavior change is in the exterior world. So that's why it's called Bitcoin Renaissance the World. And I want to explore some different ways in which it's changing the broader world and not just us as individuals. Uh, so kind of the emergent effects of you know behavior change on a mass scale, on a larger scale. And I wanted to include a number of you um, in particular because of some of the work that you've been doing. So just as a brief introduction, Alex, obviously you've been working on the human rights side of things uh, with the Human Rights Foundation for a number of years. Uh, Elizabeth, you've had a long career in the legacy financial system and now you're out on your own with Octonomics and, and working with Bitcoin. Marty, obviously you've got your hands in a lot of pies in media, but also more recently, you've been uh, you've been talking about your involvement with uh, Great American Mining. So kind of looking at the infrastructure and energy side of things and the ways in which Bitcoin influences that uh, industry. And then Guy and Brady, you, you guys as well speak to a lot of these topics on a regular basis. So I thought it'd be great to have you in here uh, to expand upon some of these conversations. 
and maybe sprinkle in a little cosmic fairy dust as well as, as we go along. Um, so I wanted to start, and, and guys, this is obviously very open and free flowing. So feel free to jump in and take the conversation wherever, wherever you want to go. But I thought in light of uh, recent events uh, with, you know, COVID, what's going on with COVID, Alex, I thought we'd start with a kind of overarching uh, look at how Bitcoin is currently changing and what it may change in the future with regards to human rights. So I'm sure you've given, you know, the brief spiel on that a number of times, but why don't you get us kicked off with that and we can all chime in as and when we feel feel like it. Yeah, I'll actually build off something Marty said on a show once where he talked about the fact that this crisis was like, you know, the the combination of two previous crises where we had a civil liberties crisis after 9-11 and uh, an economic crisis after uh, the, 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 you know, the Great Recession. And in both cases, the system, the establishment is broken. And in one case, they're trying to tell you that they need you to give up your liberties in order to protect your health. And on the other hand, they are telling you that in order to keep the financial system afloat, they need to increase the balance sheets of these central banks and acquire all these different assets and pump the prices of all these stocks. And at the same time, you know, not really give much to the to the average person. And I think people are wisening up to both of these things. And, and uh, I think Bitcoin is a very elegant response um, in a way to, to both, even though obviously when Satoshi created it, he, she, whatever, would have no idea that this would happen. But what they did create helps people in both ways, just very simply, because number one, it allows people to interact in a more sovereign way that can be very private with regard to uh, not only just transactions, but also as we're seeing other types of interactions like communications. I think we're going to build a kind of private uh, pseudonymous, um, uh, you know, censorship resistant sort of transaction communication platform on top of Bitcoin on the one hand and, and fight the surveillance state, which is being built brick by brick as we speak. And on the other hand, it provides an alternative to the existing monetary system, which is reliant on the cancelon effect and favoritism and the people closest to the money spigot get to benefit first at the expense of the rest. And this is just an alternate uh, vision and an alternate way of doing things where there's no equality of outcome, but there's equality of opportunity and everybody gets a chance to have Bitcoin and the people who have the most can't stop the others. So I think that's kind of why I, I, I'm pretty excited that it exists right now. And, and Alex, in what ways today is Bitcoin, uh, you know, facilitating solutions in the human rights domain? Well, I mean, I think it goes from the macro to the micro. I mean, on the micro side, even in open societies and democracies, people use use Bitcoin to do business uh, where the government or local authorities don't want them to do business. And this kind of is like under the lens of like an operation choke point kind of thing where the government has arbitrarily decided, ooh, this activity, we don't like that. Well, people are able to still do business and earn, earn income um, despite the fact that some bureaucrat doesn't like what they do. On the macro side, you're seeing like pretty incredible uh, up, uptick of uh, usage in countries like Kenya and Argentina, as, as we've seen from the work of Matt Alborg, where citizens are using Bitcoin first and foremost as like a bridge between two monies where they're like living in one country and they need to get finances to another country and the existing banking system either is inaccessible to them or doesn't work. And this goes for both everybody from like people in China trying to get around capital restrictions to 
folks trying to do remittances to people trying to get outside collapsing financial systems uh, all the way down to, you know, people trying to get around uh, hyperinflation or banking crises like we're seeing right now uh, in, in, in Lebanon. To, to your knowledge, has there been any repercussions of engaging with Bitcoin around the world? Yeah, I mean, it depends. But of, of course, um, the Chinese government tried to make tried to get rid of Bitcoin in 2017. It didn't work. Um, I think they've sort of given up on that for now. But the Venezuelan government has uh, has attacked people and at gunpoint taken their mining equipment from them. Um, and I think that what you've seen is the uh, I don't know, the North Korean government has robbed cryptocurrency exchanges. And there's been a lot of like nefarious government activity around this. But at the end of the day, um, long-term Bitcoin reduces government ability to control the economy. So even if some of these governments start kind of like stealing people's equipment and cracking down, the very fact that they're talking about Bitcoin is bad for them in the long term um, and good for good government because it'll, it'll basically lead us down the road optimistically, my view is, uh, in the future where governments can't afford to be so authoritarian and they kind of have to... Um, be more responsive to the people because the people will control the economy. They won't. That, that's that's my ultimate hope, hope and vision for this. Yeah. And Marty, I, I read the final line of a recent bent, uh, Marty's bent, for those people that don't know, is a, a daily uh, piece of writing that Marty puts out. But uh, you asked, what kind of future do you want and what path are you going to take? And I think this is a, a genuinely question that everybody should have an answer to uh, in, in today, you know, with what's going on around the world today. So can you elaborate on kind of where that question came from and I guess uh, what you think people should be thinking about in, uh, around it? Yeah, uh, the landscaping equipment behind me isn't too disrupted. I think they're almost done. But um, yeah, so and I talked about this a lot, particularly with Alex, um, I think. Right now, we're, we find ourselves at a pivotal point in human history where we can go down one of two paths. Maybe there's more than two paths, but to me, it seems pretty clear that you either have something like the Chinese surveillance state exported to the rest of the world, or we work hard to build self-sovereign preserving technologies like Bitcoin that, that don't allow that to happen. And so yeah, the, the impetus for that question in that particular newsletter was to try to get people to start thinking about this. Like, hey, you have some agents, you have the ability to take agency over your own life. Uh, it's a decision. It's gonna take some action as well in the form of getting into Bitcoin, running your own node, sort of learning about the systems that control your life now. Uh, and yeah, I mean, just to sort of implant a thought in people's heads. Um, and. I feel like the people reading the band already sort of have thought about this. So hopefully we can get that message out to, to people outside of, of our, our little bubble, if you will. This one is for the floor, but do you, do you, does anyone think that that message is getting out? So the state of affairs right now is causing people to question, uh, you know, the size, power and influence of, of governments all over the world more right now. Not so sure if it's uh, a case of like like the Bitcoin message is getting out, and more of it the the status quo is shaking a little bit. Um, that I think people are beginning to wake up and realize, or at least I can 
say this for like the circles that I roll in that are not Bitcoin, like all of my normie friends and family and stuff, they are increasingly the confidence in what was such a reliable, comfortable narrative of the government has everything under control and the banking system works great. Like all of that just feels like it feels like they're defensive for anybody who is like trying to still hold that up they're they're like kind of against the ropes they know that it's a really hard sell now whether or not they're willing to kind of consciously admit it but that things are just not as safe as they were like it's clear nobody ever really knew what they were doing it's just that everything was going smoothly and as soon as the wind blew a little bit it was like oh crap we, we have no idea what we're doing with this thing and everybody's incompetent and they were only all only looking out for themselves to begin with. I feel like. Elizabeth. Well, I, I'm, I'm speaking from the perspective of Quebec in Canada, which is a, the French part, French part of Canada. And I'd say that uh, lots of people are not, are not seeing it. They're not yet questioning it because they are receiving one source of information and it's a centralized source of information. And they have been, uh, really uh, marked hard with, with fear. So they're still like, and they're, they've been receiving, receiving checks and they're not, not questioning because they're all receiving that, that one, one message. And, and the minute uh, someone says, well, can we question the number? D this does not seem to make sense. Uh, they are, they, they become uh, the, the, the bad people. So what I'm saying is I, I, I'm, I'm, I read on, on LinkedIn, uh, uh, when there's where's LinkedIn, I view, I view that platform as the place to uh, corporately pet and uh, the feel good, yeah, excellent, good, yeah, well, well, so proud of you, and that's that's what I use as a as a barometer. And yesterday there was there's a company Vidrotron who launched this this bracelet uh, for um, informing people that there's someone two meters away from them, and I was like, and I was looking at the comments and great initiative, well done, congrats, and I'm like. What are these people thinking? Like what? Like what's 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 going on? So, so I'm thinking low level of education, one language, one source, one source of content, centralized powers, minimal minimal employment of opportunity. So as you are in this little little island, you cannot question because that means you're gonna starve. And and uh, and I think. The, the realization of that will happen in several months from now, where they say, well, where are the jobs? How come meat, meat price has gone through the roof? And they, they, they will feel the consequences for, for, for later on. But are there, do I see pockets evidence that there are more people questioning? Yes. And the more there's censorship, the more there's information removal, the more people are not allowed to question data, question what's going on, uh, the, 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 the more this, uh, exposes uh, the exposes the weaknesses. I think the first stage has kind of been brought forward by this massive money, money printing, which is realizing what money really is or starting to question the money that we have right now. And that is, I see happening. I mean, look at, um, 
you know, our boy Jay, uh, John Tudor Jones, is that his name? Uh, he, you know, people like him are really spreading that message uh, to a broader audience. And they're not talking about the, you know, the, the renaissance that are like the individual changes that better money or true money can bring about. But they're talking about, you know, Bitcoin as a legitimate store of value and questioning, you know, a legitimate store of value in reaction to this massive money printing. Uh, and I think that's kind of the first stage. So that's getting out there. But as Elizabeth said, I think, you know, people won't start to really go deeper down the rabbit hole until they start to feel the pain, which I think is probably coming in the form of inflation. I'd be interested, Alex, in getting your take on this question. But I think and correct me if I'm wrong, but my assumption is that you've either followed, you know, different populations or people or engaged with them who because they're under the thumb of oppression, perhaps more than in other societies, fear is maybe a more uh, prevalent part of their consciousness. It's more of a daily concern. Have you noticed any ways in which that fear is, is overcome in order to see things more clearly? Kind of on Elizabeth's point where, you know, a lot of people right now are being driven by fear. Do you see any, any, any kind of trends in, in how, what are the kind of, uh, the, like the catalyst for being able to see things around fear or not having it cloud your judgment so much? Yeah, well, of course, the people I'm interacting with through the Human Rights Foundation are, are kind of unique. Uh, they are these like crazy, brave, uh, oftentimes uh, obstinate uh, people who want to change the system around them and they're willing to risk their lives to do it. So they're not like a, it's not like a representative of everybody in a particular country. Um, however, I do think it's, worth noting that most people, even just the average person in, in a Western open society, you know, they don't know that there's another way. <laughs> they, they, they feel, I think, this slow creeping sense that that things are getting more centralized digitally, so to speak, and that they're being watched and that, that governments are kind of like in control a little more than they used to be. And I think that's probably just generally uh, known. I think some people think that's a good thing. Some people are skeptical, but no, very few people understand that there's a way out, right? Like very few people understand that, that we have a different way of doing things. And when I explain that to, to dissidents and talk to them about Bitcoin, they really light up and, and they're like, wow, government, the money that the government doesn't control, tell me more. I'm really interested. And I do think eventually the impact of Bitcoin will be as kind of like this protest tool uh, that that can be wielded nonviolently in a really compelling way, and it's really tough to defeat governments when they have a monopoly of violence. You can do it, and in fact, nonviolent protests. Uh, if, if we're going to try to be optimistic here for Bitcoin, nonviolent protests are way more successful in history than violent ones by like an order of magnitude. I think it's something like thirty-five percent of all nonviolent movements, ranging from Gandhi to MLK or whatever, have ultimately been successful in the last hundred years, and only like less than 10% of the violent ones have done what, what the violent people wanted to do, right? For obvious reasons, like usually it's like a small group of male people willing to wear, to, to have guns who are willing to, to fight in these violent ones, whereas everybody can participate in the nonviolent revolutions. And these are usually like people power protests where you have to go in the street and like try to convince the police and the military to join you. And then the dictator has no more, uh, you know, people to support him and, and he's overthrown. This, is, this has happened quite a few times in the world. So Bitcoin's like the next level of that kind of protest where we all start opting out to this other financial system. And I do think people, it is inevitable that they're going to realize that and they're going to know that. But we're so early. I mean, we might be 
decades away from that being a reality. I mean, we're just so, so early. I mean, less than 1% of humans have used Bitcoin. Far fewer than that understand Bitcoin, maybe maybe a thousandth of that or, 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 or fewer. So I don't think Bitcoin needs our help, but I think Bitcoin will be a tool that humans end up using to, to really uh, erode some of these more arbitrary power structures. Yeah, one of the things I've noticed during the crisis is because I, I look out and I ask myself, how come more people aren't concerned about, you know, any freedoms that may be that they're having encroached upon? You know, how come this isn't discussed more? How come uh, you know, it doesn't get more press? And I, I think at least part of that answer is that people presume freedom de facto. And so I think a lot of people, especially in Western countries today, they just presume that what's happening is freedom. And so they don't feel that it's an encroachment on their freedom in many, in many ways. And, uh, you know, that's, that's obviously concerning as well. But I wonder, you know, open to the, to the crowd, what kind of hurdles do you think, w w will this come out of necessity ultimately, or are there are there kind of conscious hurdles that can be overcome to facilitate this prior to it being absolutely necessary? Uh, I think that there will be there will have to be a trigger. There will have to be a trigger. Right now, I think people are receiving receiving checks and uh, the, the things are, are artificial. I think it's artificial or holding in. I think that lots of people have have. have not felt the consequence of, of the, the resulting. But when they force me to wear a bracelet to give me permission to go see my grandma, uh, maybe that's not gonna go so so well. Like when, when people will see the consequences of, 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 of what's going on. And one um, and so so I think it'll it'll be it'll be a trigger uh, uh, for for individuals and it'll, it'll be growing where they, it's a it's a lose it's a lose of trust. And um, I hope it happens before before it's too late. Before uh, the algorithm and AI and everything has just taken over every single every single move. And um, so I hope there's there's a realization that an opt out is needed and what's being deployed uh, be before it's too late. Yeah, I think uh, I think historically it has always needed. Um, I mean something something real to land in the laps of the citizens of, of the population um, that is under the pressure. And like, no matter how, how early some may see it coming, like for the actual shift to happen, you know, you know, it's just like, you know, like the deadline is what finally gets you to stop procrastinating, you know, the midnight before your paper is due. Like it's only when the pressure is at its highest that you finally sit down and you do the work and you admit that something needs to change. And I think kind of on a societal level is that they just have that a push has to happen. And that usually comes with the the unsustainability of the previous system or the controls finally affecting everyone on a personal level that just goes a little bit too far. And uh, essentially they have no choice but to recognize that that's what this has been. Um, and, and they wake up out of necessity. Uh, I, my hope is that the fact that we are so connected is that we can react to, we can react to things so much quicker. So, it may very well be just that someone very close to us or in a, the, our circle of trust or whatever um, 
comes under or is affected by something and that spreads faster within local communities as to the fact that this is something we need to pay attention to um and that historically we may not have to it may not get as bad as it has in the past that's that's at least my hope that's my optimism coming out um but you know of course time will tell us that story mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a, sorry, go ahead, Alex. I'll go next. Or I was going to hop in. Oh, Marty, Marty. I, think it's, I think it's a combination of everything. Like people being forced into it. And then humans are inherently social beings too. So social signaling will pay huge into this. Like the meaning of Bitcoin into existence is, is pretty powerful. Like you have uh, MMA fighters like Ben Asterson and then Eddie Alvarez come out over the weekend. So they're getting Bitcoin and Russell Kuhn. Michelle Pham. So I think it's going to be a combination of everything, the, the sort of inability of the central bankers and central governments to keep the system uh, intact. Uh, and then which forces people to seek alternatives. And then they have, again, being social be beings, people are socially signaling that, hey, Bitcoin may be this path forward. Uh, so I think there's many, many aspects. Then on top of that, the, the, the sheer utility that Bitcoin provides uh as a technology like you see things getting built out in the lightning network right now like ln url off where you can basically re-architect the way you interact with the internet you don't need a username and password anymore it's just a plainly better experience from a user experience standpoint like everything combines sort of attacks it from every angle yeah i think the the other part half of the trigger like the first half is pressure you know just um from the money failing and that becoming more apparent to people. But we also have to keep in mind that that has happened, you know, outside the Western world uh, many times over and is currently happening, happening in, in, you know, certain countries, certain areas. So I think that the other part of the trigger is the usability, you know, just being able to easily use Bitcoin. So it's not difficult. I think the combination of like, the pressure creating the realization that the money's broken and then you know making it usable and and easy to to move to uh are the kind of like is the magic combination you know and you get those two and i think adoption's off to the races yeah let, let me ask you guys this big question and then we'll move on to another subject but if that's the state of affairs now and we've been talking about what a transition might look like or what might trigger it what you know what do you envision a world in which let's say, you know, to Alex's point, maybe 20, 30, 40 years down the road, where let's just say for argument's sake, this, you know, the majority of a lot of wealth has gone into Bitcoin. There's a parallel economy. States around the world have been defunded or restricted to varying degrees because of that. What kind of a, a world politically do you see in terms of does the, does the nation state persist? How does government work? You know, what, what does that landscape look like to you? Yeah, I think I think it's going to be very gradual. I know we're all about the gradually then suddenly. And I, I think that's what it'll feel like. All of a sudden we'll be like, oh, my God, so much has changed. And it's only been so few years. But it'll be a very gradual frog in, in the boiling water sense of things. Because at the end of the day, governments, I mean, for our li lifetime, obviously, governments will always sort of exist in a similar structure. And they won't be able to get all the money they need to do what they want to do with taxes. They're going to have to borrow um, and they're going to have to borrow against themselves and devalue currency. And I think that's just the way it's going to go. I think the, I think Bitcoin will exist alongside fiat money and also alongside corporate money, which I think will become a bigger thing. 
I think most of these uh, other cryptocurrency projects are really corporate money. They're controlled by corporations, but there'll also be like, you know, what Libra is trying to do. Uh, there will eventually be, I think, corporations like at a, it'll be right at a snow crash where they, they make their own money and it'll be worth less. It won't be worth much, but you know, you'll want to use it for certain things. There's a little bit of this whole like Gresham's law thing where, um, you know, uh, bad money kind of drives out the good. Uh, and that, that only holds if the government forces you to use the bad money, right? That's the only, that's the only way that Gresham's law really works. And I think that'll be true where like the government forces you maybe to pay taxes in, in its own currency, driving demand for it. Right. Um, but people will have Bitcoin and they'll invest in it and they'll use it and there'll be parallel economies, especially in the collapsing world, uh, where governments are really failing. And I think it'll just, you know, remove the ability of governments to really force the population to do certain things because they can just leave with the power of their their purse. They can just take off and move their wealth somewhere else without permission. And, you know, so in some ways, I think the world will look really similar, but in, in other very deep, interesting ways, um, it, it will look different. Yeah, and I think how, how it look politically, hopefully it's less politically charged where I'm a strong believer in a lot of the red versus blue team rhetoric and polarization we see here in the United States, particularly is just people misdiagnosing problems and fighting over over political battles that really won't solve any problems that, that they have or perceive they have, where if you fix the money, I'm a strong believer that a lot of the problems that people are fighting about that are misdiagnosed stem from the fact that we have fucked up the money. And so if we do transition to a world in which we have a sound digital currency in the form of Bitcoin, I, I think we'll see hopefully less political polarization and, and everything being politically charged in the world, which I cannot wait for that day to come. <laughs> Amen. In 30, in 30 or for, in 30 or 40 years, uh, the current baby boomer will be, uh, will have passed, right? And we will be uh, close to our, uh, passing passing as well the, the next generation and the generation after them will be those who are uh the entrepreneurs and the decision makers and whatever the, the structure is is organized then but i think that in between there'll be a, a period where there's going to be steep economic turmoil because of the the, the, the massive debt that that uh, the, we are in a debt-based economy and there has been steep malinvestment because of those uh, skewed skewed incentive and, and and money printing, so I think that the in between is a period of either stagflation, inflation, deflation. I'm not I'm not exactly sure how this 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 plays out, but it's not it's not it's 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 not good. And I think after that it'll be um, a smaller smaller community, and the economy will will not be based on. Um, financial engineering and if you look at the current the current economy it's it's a lot of financial engineering real estate is financial engineering structured products uh, like the the the, the cap capital markets like the how, how money is distributed is is all engineering but that does not create economic activity 
that's just shuffling, shuffling money around. So yes, there will be the period where there's the, the corporate money and there will be boosts and busts. And I think that the Bitcoin, Bitcoin wins in that scenario because it's the it's the artist or artist form of money and there's there's no bailout, there's no cronies. So I I, I hope that it changes the, the, the profound profoundly the economic structure how, how it is where there's no one being able to receive the bailout and there's that that uh, uh, savers are no longer penalized and having uh, uh, being able to keep the fruit of your labor in, in the money that cannot in a, that cannot be debased. So I think that it will be um, uh, capital has a chance to be better better allocated, but I think it will be smaller smaller structures, uh, smaller smaller community uh, with with collaboration uh, uh, more uh, on a voluntary basis, and the financial sector will be hopefully uh, much more much much smaller. Um, so, um, but but we'll see what it looks like in. Four years from now, um, I, I agree with uh, Elizabeth that you know there's just kind of looking at the the level of correction that needs to happen. There's no there's no real way to you know easily or comfortably go from an entirely debt based system to a savings based system. Like there there is no there is no non painful way to make that transition. I feel like. Um, but what's interesting is like kind of historically, like the nation state as we think of it now is a, a rather modern invention. You know, it's only really like two centuries old in in the way that we think about it and the level of involvement and micromanaging of its people as it has become. And I think a lot of people just don't realize um, how foundational to that ability or, or to that level of uh, control the the monopoly over money is. Um, I really think that is the core piece of the puzzle that that um, informs what a nation state is. Um, and honestly, in 40 to 50 years, like like I would not normally say like go this far just because you know i think it's so far out of the realm the realm of the normal person's acceptance of this is even possible but i think i think we'll see something happen to the nation state similar to what we saw happen to the church like prior like the church was the authority um like it was the government it was the thing that told you whether you whether you had salvation or not it was it was the monopoly on the afterlife and morality um, and in some ways, that's what the that's the role that the nation state plays. And uh, in 40 to 50 years, I think if we can successfully break the monopoly on money, if we can separate money and state, uh, that we will see it devolve in the same way. It will kind of lose its prominent place in society as as an organizer. Um, and there will be much of the civilization that uh, much of the populations that still see it as that's the most important thing. But, you know, much like churches or the Pope or the priest or whatever, they just won't have the influence or the network of of explicit control that they used to have. There will be too many avenues to just step out and be like, I don't really care. I don't really care what you say. I'm going to move to this other jurisdiction and they will lose that 
that blanket authority because they lost they lost their most important tool. That's that's what I well, hope. Well, well said. Just to push push back on that mm -hmm. just for a second though, I do agree with the sentiment, but I mean most money is is credit, and I think a lot of people believe that Bitcoin is a replacement for central banks, and central banks produce a certain amount of money, and the mm -hmm. private sector produces the rest, right? So. I don't necessarily know if that's going to change. And I, I certainly don't think Bitcoin addresses greed or, or a lot of uh, corruption and different problems in our society. Uh, I certainly think those are permanent conditions of humans. It, it may ameliorate the extent to which that some of that can damage us. Um, but I, I do think that even in a Bitcoin economy, that again, most money is not Bitcoin. It's going to be some other, you know, it's going to be credit. So I, I just, I don't want to, over exaggerate what what might may end up happening and i in the far future i mean very few people probably will even own real bitcoin it'll be very like um uh rare i think and very extremely valuable to have even a tiny little piece of it um and i think most people will still subsist on credit so uh, at least that's just my 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 kind of more realistic i think thinking against my i want to hope for something like so much better but I just kind of think that's what's sort of going to shake out. I'd love to get right. some input. Yeah, go ahead, Elizabeth. No, 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 please go, please. No, I was going to ask for your input, so go ahead. <laughs> Credit in itself is not a bad thing. All right? Credit in itself is not is not a bad thing. Is uh, It allows to right. uh, purchase a good that you're going to repay over a certain amount of time. It allows to be born... Uh, with zero money or zero zero estate from a previous generation and to work and to build to build wealth and and to to, to make for example a mortgage you borrow you borrow for a house within your means not not over your means because there's a cheap interest rate and then you pay the house over a certain amount of time otherwise you need to wait 25 years and before you become you become an owner like it, it, it doesn't work so there's there's good debt but where the, the, the where it comes bad is in the excesses and it, and it is in the excesses also by the state who can borrow endlessly they can borrow endlessly and that's where that's where it creates excesses and that that's where it creates uh, uh wealth uh, extreme wealth dis disparity and taking that um uh, taking that power away from concentrated uh, concentrated force can be very very uh, impactful and recently a uh, parker lewis from unchained capital produced a, a, a very a very good text and he says in regards to money with the one exception that a single individual has superpower to print money requiring no investment of time and practically no cost, uh, given that human time is inherently scarce resource and that it is required input in the production of any good or service, demand and trade, such a scenario would mean that one person would get to purchase the output of all the others for free. So that that's why you cannot have that centralized person who have that that power over over all the others and hence why separation of state and money uh uh and i'm not saying that it, it solves uh, uh all all but it's a much more ethical way to, to 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 spread that potential of having people interact with each other with their with their production that is not producing money that's producing services and goods that will be expressed in uh in, in money i think Credit is not a bad thing, but credit is a bad thing when it, it leads to excesses and when someone else borrows in your name without 
true accountability. Yeah, there's <laughs> cheers to um, that. So <laughs> something that kind of goes along with Elizabeth's thread, um, but more to you, Alex. In like, I actually completely agree with everything you said, um, but I think there is a there is a profound difference between credit at the edges versus credit at the center. Um, is that like like so many of the problems of credit, like credit inherently is not a bad thing. The problem is not being able to value that credit via the counterparty that, or, or the liability that it's attached to, that it is actually attached to. Whereas right now, like if I get credit from, you know, Chase Bank or whatever, it's indistinguishable, like based on the, by the fractional reserve system, it is indistinguishable from every other dollar in the system. I don't know. It's not a free banking system like it used to be where I had a Chase note or I had a Wells Fargo note. And if that bank could not provide reserves or could not fulfill their credit, their notes were the ones that crashed, not the entire economy. We didn't have a we didn't have an economy wide debt bubble. We had banking, individual bank debt bubbles. It was who was liable for that debt that um, lost their value, lost their reputation. Um, and in one that has credit at the center where everything about the system, new money and new debt is created that cannot be distinguished, cannot be valued separately or recognized separately from that which actually has reserves and value backing it, um, has huge systemic and long-term imbalances where, where one that has reserves and like real real value at the center and credit must be created. You can't create a, a Bitcoin credit note that is provable or valid on a Bitcoin node, right? You have to do it at the edges. It has to be a chase Bitcoin promise or a liquid Bitcoin, you know, whatever it is. Um, it has to be a substitute for it. And you can easily recognize that it is a substitute. And therefore your credit imbalances happen as long as, you know, something like Mt. Gox happened is that you know for five months we questioned are they actually have reserves and then suddenly the 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 bank run comes in and they collapse like you don't they don't sustain for 20 years they don't keep massive institutions in power and enable trillions of dollars in bailouts out of you know just because they happen to be in that position so like like i completely agree with um the the fact that all that credit exists and that we will have all these markets, I just think that it will really cause a huge shift in society when that credit cannot be done at the center of the monetary system, which would be Bitcoin in our example. Um, but instead, it is valued independently at the edges of the system. Yeah, I uh, I agree with, with all of that. And I, I think in a a, a true free market, what we'll find is just the the appropriate pricing of credit, right? Right now, it's obviously incredibly distorted. But when, if it's able to be done, uh, guys, you were just articulating, then the, the, the price of credit will just basically be a reflection of the shifting time preferences and or aggregate time preferences of all the different people operating in the market. And I, you know, I think that's how it should be, right? That is a genuine reflection of of you know how how willingly people part with their money in order to build something into the future um and on the greed point i think in a in a true free market 
uh, I think, you know, greed is good. I think many of us are probably on the same page. But if you have to derive, if, if your way to accumulating more wealth is almost exclusively via providing market value, then, you know, greed is basically a mechanism for providing market value and improving the lives of par market participants. Uh, whereas now, of course, there's many different avenues for acquiring acquiring <laughs> acquiring wealth, which are outside of simply producing value in the market. But what I'd like to ask uh, you guys is the the whole how does credit work in a Bitcoin economy comes up a lot. And, you know, one of the common critiques is if you have a deflationary currency, if Bitcoin's purchasing power is even, you know, somewhat uh, increasing on an annual basis, let's say, even if it's just with productivity growth in the economy, um, what the what is the what does it look like practically, the functioning of credit markets? What do you guys, how do you guys see it working? Is it more restrained? Are people, you know, presumably there would be higher interest rates, but have you guys, have any of you guys thought about that in, in any depth? Nothing, nothing great depth, but I, I'll say to, I, I, I will, I will try and, and I will attempt an answer. There's, I think there's two two phases. The phase where, like, fast forward in the hyper Bitcoinization world, then the, the the volatility of the price of Bitcoin will become irrelevant. Like it it, it won't it will be smoothed out. And in the period where Bitcoin is competing with with all other monies, then it's a it's a basis risk. If I'm if I'm Canadian and my mortgage is in Canadian dollars. Well, if, if my income is in Canadian dollars, I'm not going to borrow in U.S. dollar because the, my, my currency is depreciating versus the U.S. dollar. So it's it's a basis risk. So I, I don't want to borrow in the, the just the same just the same thing that's going on with the emerging market debt that's issued in U.S. Like the euro, the euro dollar. They have that problem where our producer, they sell oil, but now they don't sell oil. And they don't get the the USD revenue, but they have a, a, a debt repayment in USD. So it's the same basis risk concept. Uh, it's just with with Bitcoin as a currency. So two two stage when the, the borrowing when you have the, the income coming in a different currency and and fast forward in X amount of time where everything is priced in in Bitcoin and then it becomes uh, it becomes just a, a, a standard. And I think, I mean, what we talk a lot about in the Bitcoin world is that if we get on a sound monetary currency, one that's deflationary in that um, it'll lead to less of a misallocation of capital. And so I guess credit markets would be more restrained in the future. I would imagine uh, the duration of loans would be decreased a bit as well. Um, but uh, you're still, even though it's a deflationary currency, if you're taking that credit and then going to build something more productive to the point where you're getting more return than the interest on the loan and the deflation uh, that comes with the currency, then you're still gonna make your money back and hopefully a little bit of profit. So again, uh, people are just gonna be more, more thoughtful with how they allocate their capital. And um, I, I would imagine credit providers would sort of tighten up on the duration of their of their loan extensions as well. Now the credit market will be so weird in the next in the coming years. Like many jurisdictions are contemplating like a negative interest rates, 
So you're going to penalize savers by taking money away from them and pay borrowers to borrow. So that 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 means I'll, the economy is skewed for like absolutely need of growth at all, at all costs, where you're willing to just take the money away in the, directly in the savings account and pay borrowers. So I think these are like that's that's the that's the model being stretched beyond like it's. it's I think. Right. Okay, let's uh, cut Alex off right here in the middle of the sentence and hit our sponsor. Uh, then we'll jump back in because uh, Alex got a really awesome take on kind of the credit cycle and like what debt could look like in a Bitcoin uh, Bitcoin future. I know it's getting exponentially smaller, but I mean, Bitcoin, honestly, it would be very difficult for us to speculate beyond, what is it, 2136? I mean, Bitcoin will be inflationary for a long time for more than 100 years so i mean i think it gives that the whole idea is that it gives that opportunity to transition right um and i think over time hopefully you would just see the collapse and the shrinkage of these rent seekers and this just unfathomably unfathomably large part of our societies that that enrich themselves at the expense of others um, which will take so long to to deteriorate and erode. I mean, it'll take so many decades to 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 change because it's so part. It's such a part of our fabric of our lives, you know. So while while I do think Bitcoin already is having an immediate impact in closed societies and in collapsing societies, it, it's its impact on advanced economies and on where the majority of wealth is. Um, will will I think take a long, a much longer time to to have its sort of ultimate impact? Yeah, one thing that just kind of looking backward a little bit when the dollar was a better money, um, and you can kind of get an idea of uh, well, kind of like Marty said, the the important thing is the ability to price credit, like to to actually have a reliable pricing mechanism. Um, but if you look back, like you know, my grandmother and grandfather. <laughs> the idea that you could buy a house with no money down would be hilarious. You know, they'd be like, what? That's insane. Nobody, nobody would ever do that. Um, and that every single commercial for a car or for a, a gadget in your house or a new appliance is zero money down, 0% interest for 12 months. Like that is an incredibly modern phenomenon. Um, and now every single device in every big company, Apple has a credit card. The only way that they can expand now is to make sure that they are now grabbing part of that credit funnel from the printing machines. Uh, and so somebody who should be designing a better iPhone or the next, um, <laughs> next car, or whatever it is, like all these companies are now, they now all have their own credit or have a credit card for every company that. I used on Amazon, uh, Apple, all of this stuff. I think this is this is sustainable only under our current monetary system. And if you look back, you had to have 20, 30 percent. Um, and with something like a, a strongly deflationary in the terms of like pricing um, or a, a purchasing power, a currency like Bitcoin is like Marty said, I think the, the biggest result will probably be the uh, the squeeze on long-term loans first um, and then obviously accurate interest rates and an entire period where 
You can only get a loan for something that clearly has very strong um, immediate productive benefits. The most important things that society needs to take care of right now are those which actually get credit in a monetary system like that until things balance back out. And, you know, we kind of find some new stable um, under that new mechanism. How long that takes? Holy crap. I don't, you know, like decades, half a century, who knows? But um, I think that's kind of where we're headed. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to ask you guys this question. And again, the timelines, who, who knows how this is all going to play out. So let's just assume it's a timeline on which it has played out. But I, I often think about the implications of the primary store of value asset being non, non-physical and as a result, far more uh, defensible, uh, protectable than f- any physical assets. And so I think, we'll, as is often discussed in this space, we'll probably see a lot of moneyness that a lot of other assets have flow into Bitcoin for that and other reasons. And I'm wondering if you guys have given any thought to what are the implications of, uh, you know, perhaps ultimately the vast majority of store of value, um, you know, function being in Bitcoin? What does the exterior world look like as a result of that? How does it change, if at all? Well, I mean, I I think it's... It, it, the revolution is the ending of the the cycle, right? It's the the sound money and then co-opted money cycle. And if gold is, you know, a, as we've seen throughout history, able to be co-opted, uh, that's in going to happen, and inevitably money printing will follow, uh, coin clipping will follow. Um, and if Bitcoin fulfills its promise of being uh, resistant to centralization through you know decentralization, run your own node, everybody. Um, then, you know, we're out of that cycle. So we can look forward to a sustainable um, renaissance, right? One that can't be ended through the co-opting of the money. And then... Well, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if Bitcoin does become the predominant store of value and you, you have the opportunity cost of keeping your mo- money in some like real estate or gold. And we take some of that market share from them. Maybe some people are still using them as stores of value, but not many. I think it opens up. I mean, Connor Brown wrote about this, opens up those assets for more productive use. Um, land will still have value. I mean, it is still scarce at the end of the day. So, but I bet prices will be decreased because, depreciated, excuse me, because um, because people are just storing their money in Bitcoin instead of real estate, like in Manhattan, where I live, or uh, New York City, like Chi- Chinese, Russian, Saudi nationals are just buying real estate in Midtown and never using it. So uh, it's literally not being put to productive use in the sense that somebody could live in that house and actually use it as shelter. Um, so maybe we'll see more, more affordable housing throughout the world. And then from a gold perspective, I'm just talking about the two main competitors of Bitcoin in the store of value realm. And then gold, we can start putting it on on chipboards to take us to space or something like that. The, this On the confiscation resistance note, this is why, Marty, the TFTC guides are, are so important. You got to pump those out. Um, and this is why privacy is so important. You know, the goal is to have privacy in conjunction with confiscation resistance. 
if you have both, then there's not a whole lot the government can do. I always keep coming back to this scene in this uh, novel, uh, The Mandibles, um, where it's a near future hyperinflationary environment in the United States. And the government is sending around thugs to collect uh, valuables from people's homes, which of course happens around the world in many different countries. It's not, it's just to us, it's inconceivable that it could, could happen here. But the author does a really good job of uh, making it uh, very realistic that it, that it could happen here in, in, you know, the near future. And, you know, there's this chilling scene where the person has this one piece of gold and they're hoping the jackbooted thugs don't take it. Right. And it's like, well, if you have privacy, relatively good privacy, pretty good privacy in Bitcoin and you uh, and the thugs come, there's not a whole lot they can do. They're not going to find your Bitcoin. Um, so that to me is like a, a really big bonus and, and puts us on a new trajectory uh, that a lot of people don't realize, again, that we have. So we just, you know, it's important to educate folks and show them the way and show them that this does exist because they will be able to protect themselves. It's going to be quite ugly. I mean, we've talked about how uh, this whole like financial engineering sector is going to shrink. Yeah, those people aren't going to like that very much. So the top like one to two percent uh, of the economy, which is built on this sort of uh, castle in the sand, rather a uh, castle in the sky built on sand, they're not going to like that transition very much. And they're going to fight it really uh, hard. And so so are governments. So we need to defend and protect ourselves. So again, this that's why privacy ends up being so important for for Bitcoin is because it allows yeah. like effective um, confiscation. There's a, it's funny that you bring up the mandibles because I actually just listened to the audiobook like two weeks ago. Um, and uh, that that scene you're ex specifically talking about with the thugs going around, like getting people's um, uh, co uh, collectibles and like valuables or whatever, um, was uh, really unnerving for me because they did such a good job of the mm -hmm. excuses, like how everybody's mental framing kind of excused what happened and it sounded so eerily similar to the people on twitter going well you know you know yeah the police beat the guy up but he was explicitly told not to go to the park and then he, he resisted <laughs> when they tried to <laughs> kidnap him you know so obviously you have to beat him yeah. up and and like when when i was uh, listening to that part of it like that is exactly what i heard was like that going over in my head it's like oh my god it would be so easy to do that um and you know pump out on the news that oh this is important and it's good for the country um but uh, anyway beside the point um uh that uh i think this really kind of goes back to the whole sovereign individual like thesis um and that cryptography um is such a powerful tool but i i feel like kind of in the past like like throughout the the eras of the internet that we have seen so far it really hasn't had a totem like like something like a, a core like foundational network to really connect all the the disparate means of you know private communication and you know this little marketplace um and you know like we we all have separate accounts on every single uh website that we go to like it's all like very disconnected i think the closest thing we have to something that actually became a a solid standard now has been like HTTPS really. Um, and something that I think Bitcoin provides is kind of like a strong global like foundation to kind of tie it all back into. And one with incredibly powerful network effects that none of the others really benefited from. 
like not only is it going to be able to soak up the um uh the potential to you know be kind of like like keys for everyone i mean like basically we all have pgp keys like uh, in, in, a, in a sense like how many people actually had those keys prior to bitcoin like what, what's the number post bitcoin for the number of people who have an encryption key versus uh uh pre um and i think it will actually be kind of a totem for a global economy that is extra national that just doesn't care about borders and stuff and i think it was i think it was tales from the crypt marty i think you i think you were the one that mentioned it um uh, talking about uh, uh somebody who had left russia or whatever during uh, all this craziness and said that i don't know maybe it was maybe it was yon no yeah no that was me my um the cio was, was, he, was he the one that said that they were only allowed to take like yeah. when they left the country they were only allowed to take a hundred dollars that was Jan. I think. That was uh, Jan. Okay, I think I'm mixing up the two stories. I think you're the one that said Soviet that Russia. he now sees yeah. that America is uh, uh, becoming like Soviet, the Soviet Union when he left it. But um, it was Jan's parents or grandparents mm -hmm. or, or whoever when they when they left Russia that said, "Yeah, they they let us take a hundred dollars with us." And capital controls. Is, yeah, that is explicitly because of capital controls and because when you have your money or your value in something like land, you can't take your you know Manhattan condo with you um if you're freedom. <laughs> exiting the country um but the fact that we could have like this something where all the value could actually be accumulated and exists regardless of what country like exists everywhere in the world at once um i think that would be it's a powerful powerful way to make that sort of control just like just immunize the the bulk of the economy from that um and i think it will I think it will have massive, massive long-term effects. Yeah, one of the reasons why I'm excited by it, and some of this has been mentioned already, but just if we if we accept that the kind of disparity between, like, if, if the store of value component of you know people how people store their wealth continues to go into Bitcoin, in addition to if Bitcoin were used as a currency and you wouldn't have the inflationary effect, then presumably we'd see a lot of deflation in assets not named Bitcoin, houses and all the different things that you fill up your your home with. And so what why that excites me is because we see not only a, a greater standard of living, but also the things in the exterior world that are far harder to defend become relatively less and less valuable there. And as a result, there's less and less incentive to take them from you, where if the bulk of your your value is stored in a far more defensible uh, way, i.e. Bitcoin. And so like for, for me, this is a part of changing the incentive structure around violence. Generally, if more and more value gets put in a way that's easier to defend, does the world become more peaceful simply because not only is there less incentive from the fact that the the physical world's uh, goods are less valuable in relative terms, but also because it's so much harder to, you know, steal somebody's Bitcoin. And what does that mean? You know, Brady and I have talked about this before, but you could you could say history up to this point has kind of been a will to power. Right. You don't, in my opinion, you don't have rights. You have permissions and things you can defend. And if you can't defend them, then they're at the mercy of the people who are able to overcome your defenses. And maybe they persist for your entire lifetime or maybe they don't. And there's many examples throughout history and the world right now to illustrate that. But maybe we're going into, you know, 
hopefully moving toward and Bitcoin bringing us there, you know, far more quickly, a world where it's, you know, it's empowering rather than a will to power where, you know, the, the defenses are such and the incentive structures are such that there's far less um, desire and ability to use force to um, to you to exact your will over anybody else. I think the violence thing is worth reflecting on. And um, because I think it help, we, we have to figure out how it squares with, with what we've been discussing with the way we think Bitcoin will change the world. Because if you look at, for example, the work of Pinker, uh, Better Angels, Angels of Our Nature, he's got some interesting data in there. I mean, more people died in World War II because of violence than have since, right? So we've become so much more peaceful. Uh, and even the world wars were kind of like a, like a, a very tragic blip, but a blip on a very large arc of history whereby a thousand years ago humans were like way more violent than they are today like your likelihood of dying a violent death a thousand years ago was pretty significant and today it's virtually zero i mean you know especially if you remove a couple countries that are in active conflict so um how do we square that again you know in this time of incredible creation of uh money and easy spending and whatever the world has gotten a lot more peaceful so is that you know, is that because of just the residual uh, effects of commerce and pe more people trading and interacting with each other? Or, you know, how do we how do we disentangle the reality that the world's much more peaceful than it used to be from, you know, the excesses that 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 we do know exist? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think free trade like you mentioned, Alex plays plays a bigger role in that and, and access to, to more credit uh, and the opening of communication to the whole world. I mean, in the information age, it's it's far easier to create empathy with your fellow man by sharing stories and, and getting access to to information you may otherwise have not had um, in the past. So I think it's a combination of things. And there's not one. Um, factors right but does the does the collapse or shrinking of the fiat's globalization system uh encourage more localism and more more nationalism and maybe less projects like the eu which for all their faults obviously it's great that germany and france aren't going to fight each other tomorrow right so i just think there's an interesting conflict here that we need to unravel well i don't really think there is a conflict right it's localism in the in the sense of you don't have to be nationalistic. You just have to be like, hey, what are my immediate wants or immediate needs from a community level? Take care of those first. And mm -hmm. the beauty of Bitcoin is you have a, I envision a future, a plethora of, of strong towns that are able to trade freely with each other. They can only, like, just because your, your, like, localism may become more popular. Um, doesn't mean that free trade won't exist between those localities. I mean, Bitcoin and Bitcoin will enable that where you don't have any FX exchange rates to, to take into consideration. And if you are compelled to and want to trade with another locality, Bitcoin enables that. Yeah, I think the, the siloing of resources, of people, et cetera, throughout history has been, you know, an obvious cause for division. Whereas if, you know, if Bitcoin can bring everyone together and allow exchange and value to f f flow freely and not restricted by currencies, by governments, uh, I think that will be a bond that at least I'm hopeful will mean that there's far less, you know, cause for friction and, uh, and conflict.
and the co the cost yeah, to defend I, the cost to defend Bitcoin as a, a store of value and a means of communication and a, and a means of interacting together uh, is 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 pretty low when you compare it to uh, other means to to store value. You can uh, run a node for like what like let's say ten ten dollars a month uh, ten dollars a month or, or less. Like it it, it it it'll empower us to think differently for um, the co collaboration and that collaboration will be beyond uh, international borders and that's that's where I think there'll be the physical world where you have like the, the goods and there will be the, the digital realm where really like there's no there's no there's no frontier and only Bitcoin allows to digitally interact with that without having the big tax uh, the big taxation such as real estate where the, the price, the, it's a small example, but if you bought like 40 years ago, something 40,000, now it's worth like 800,000. Taxes go up, but you don't have the, the cash flow to offset that $10,000 a year. Like it's 25% of the price you paid at, at that time. So when you don't have that that drag, it, it changes the economic structure, it changes the collaboration, and it, it changes the... The, the way to defend so stores of value and communication mechanism that are not a negative carry um, uh, will we'll put way more back into the individual people and uh, not the, and it's and it's a less violent way of, uh, of of interacting in that sense yeah and another thing I'd add too is while there may be less violent deaths like the the top-down centralized nature of our current system where everything's dictated, by the Federal Reserve and the people in DC, like that actually probably leads to, it may not be violent deaths, but more deaths over time as you have sort of the easy monetary system driving a wedge and inequality the likes of which we haven't seen in quite some time. And that leads to people uh, on welfare only able to buy shitty food that ends up killing them in the long run due to obesity, diabetes. Uh, on top of that, you pay lots of the banks. Uh, specifically like the mortgage sector in 2008 like all the banks just swept in foreclosed on people's houses and their head like their headquarters at mc and no no thought or or a reason to care about the people living within the localities of the, the houses they foreclosed on they destroyed communities and they were able to do it from hundreds or thousands of miles away um without any any repercussions or actual like having to deal with the problems on the ground in those localities so Hopefully, violence like that, well, it's not physical, uh, economic violence will be reduced as well. Yep, I agree with all of that. Um, guys, the last one I wanted to touch on, um, and then I'll let everyone go, but, you know, there's a lot of talk today uh, about energy. And on the one hand, you've got, you know, a lot of um, people that are concerned about the energy we use as a civilization, right? Fossil fuels and the potential impact on the climate that they are having. Um, and you've got investment and increasing use of renewables. Um, and we've also got a kind of a peculiar or unexpected uh, use case for Bitcoin in that it seems to have the potential and is beginning to, to make a foray into energy markets. And I think you know, as a civilization, we benefit from using more energy. I think we just have to be conscious about the type of energy you use and the trade-offs inherent in that decision. 
And so, Marty, uh, I wanted to throw it over to you because obviously you've been very much in this world lately, and it's something that's super exciting to probably everybody uh, on this call. But how do you think Bitcoin is going to influence um, energy production, use, uh, innovation, everything? I think it's going to take us to a type <laughs> one civilization. No yes, longer. Um, yeah, no, I think, I mean, there's, so there's, you got to think like short, medium, long-term, like in the long-term, I do think that's true, but probably not in our lifetimes, probably my grandchildren's lifetime, if that, uh, but right now there, I mean, there's just so many inefficiencies and in, you know, I'll just focus on what we focus on the great American mining and the oil and gas industry where they have crazy amounts of problems and uh, particularly around the wasted energy that exists when they take oil out of the ground. So take oil out of the ground. You're not just taking oil out, you're taking a bunch of natural gas out as well. And that natural gas is hard to capture, hard to send, hard to uh, send down the pipeline because the pipelines are, are hard to create and have uh, uh, an environmental impact as well. And so Bitcoin mining particularly provides a very a solution to a very big problem that exists uh, in our world right now. So instead of building a pipeline, which again is environmentally taxing, instead of venting methane straight into the atmosphere, which is uh, incredibly bad for the atmosphere, or just flaring uh, that methane, turning it into CO2 and sending it up to the atmosphere without actually getting any value out of it, Bitcoin provides an opportunity to create vast efficiencies across this sector where you can show up plug in a couple of generators instead of having to build a pipeline that's hundreds or thousands of miles long and environmentally impactful you build one that's feet long dozens of feet long and goes to this generator and siphons the gas off to the generator and you mine bitcoin with it and that allows you to uh, get value out of that wasted energy and so how does it affect these um, these markets particularly like it, it allows them to create efficiencies and stabilize prices in the long run which actually will benefit society at whole because it'll uh, sort of benefit economic planning because there won't be so much uncertainty around the price of the energies that we use to to make our world go around um, and it's it's massive opportunity we're still very early on uh in this game the amount of waste gas like on the oil field that we're working on alone uh, if we were to consume all of it uh it would like quintuple the hash rate on the network the elizabeth and there's not even enough bitcoin mining hardware on the network right now that um that could consume all this so it's a lot of time but like yeah i think it's going to create vast efficiencies and Shinobi and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, like over the long run, if you're able to basically create the stable energy price, you really help um, sort of limit the boom bust cycle that exists uh, in the economy. Um, again, going back to the economic planning part where you can uh, always get value out of the energy that you're. And Marty, just for context, can you describe what a type one civilization is? <laughs> You mentioned, you mentioned that you thought it would lead us to one, so I think it, you should describe it for everyone. So type one civilization is, in short, is just a civilization that utilizes all the energy 
on the that exists on the planet and, and is able to get value out of that and use it for productive use and then so you, you, we're type zero right now type one is when we're using the energy as efficiently as possible on our planet and type two is within our solar system and then type three i believe it's type three i forget what the what the scale is that means uh, in our in our galactic <laughs> system we'll just get right over we'll go straight to three um, yeah but uh, <laughs> yeah but i'm not i mean i mean and many bitcoiners <laughs> have talked about this in the past like bitcoin is is a viable space money or, or combinations of bitcoin like systems throughout the planetary system in the galaxy if we wanted to look upwards and, and go to space, uh, it's the type of system that you would want to use while doing that. But before even thinking of that, like it just it creates these crazy efficiencies, and I don't even know. I find it hard to believe that Satoshi had the pressure to even yeah. realize that it was going to do this, but it does, um, which is which is beautiful. I mean, we're on, it's and it's it's a win-win win all around. Like uh, Bitcoin becomes more distributed, more secure which drives up the the underlying value of the token uh, we're wasting less energy environmentalism is and climate uh change is is a huge topic in the world right now if you're able to help people realize even though it's probably going to be a hard uphill battle that bitcoin mining actually is good because it drives uh innovation in the renewable sector and then helps us become more efficiency in the fossil fuel production uh with fossil fuel production uh it's it's a win-win-win all around for bitcoin yeah. use energy there's, there's something really beautiful about that i think it was the um hell it may have been a quote from you in connor brown's article um uh was that bitcoin doesn't waste energy it or doesn't yeah bitcoin doesn't waste energy it consumes wasted energy um and uh like the beauty of that is that like that's stuff that's been thrown away so there's no there's no lower limit on profitability for that like as long as it's not absolute zero like there's you know after after the initial investment cost like there's there's no long-term um uh you know it's not like as if if the price of energy goes under four cent or three cent you know whatever it is that you would want to cut it off like this is methane that you were literally throwing in the garbage essentially as in the alternative so the the degree of being able to soak up all of that alternative or all of that waste um which is the bulk the bulk of the energy that we produce is wasted um and that that still that that absolutely blew my mind when i saw that like illustration that two-thirds of the energy that is produced goes nowhere and is used by nothing it is just lost like that yeah and methane methane oh, yeah, it's like so 20 times the atmosphere. greenhouse gas or something like, right it's like huge. yeah some people argue like carbon dioxide is better. Yeah. You can plant more trees and suck <laughs> that carbon dioxide down. You can't do that with methane. So you have high the, incentive um, to, to consume that. The the geopolitics also are really interesting because um you would think that as we move forward, let's say a decade, Bitcoin continues to uh, I think increase in value against fiat currencies, governments are gonna want to start to monopolize the mining businesses in their countries. Uh, it's just 
what they're going to try and do because they're going to have that power. They all, most of them, especially in these dictatorships, have total monopoly over uh, natural resources. So uh, this will just inevitably contribute to this planetary decentralization <laughs> because you're going to have like all these different governments that don't agree with each other and are essentially in like a, you know, like a, like a cold conflict with each other um, competing in a rivalrous uh, environment to, to mine so that they can get more Bitcoin. And I, you know, that could shake out where like it's in 40 years from now, you know, you have a very um, competitive uh, framework of, many, many, many different governments uh, all sort of competing against each other. And that just just kind of continues to build on Bitcoin censorship resistance uh, and uptime and strength. And it's just this brilliant way that I, I believe it'll kind of unfold. It, it kind of takes our base uh, worst flaws <laughs> Dude, as we humans and somehow turns them just into positive about things. about with the Raleigh really Bitcoin crew like, uh, like a week ago or so um, that when governments get involved, like the more antagonistic governments are in trying to um, exert control over Bitcoin, the stronger Bitcoin becomes because you have more powerful and vested interests that specifically want to either yeah. make sure they have the upper hand or make sure they have enough power to defend against the upper hand of someone else in order to play, play the game of the global value system. And I, I thought that was it's so crazy that... <laughs> yeah, and there's going to be governments that have Manhattan Project style <laughs> initiatives to get the cheapest energy possible. And who knows, a lot of it might be, you know, you know, whether it's fission, fusion, or if you just track the price of these, some of these renewable techs over the last 30 years, it's pretty Secret insane that they're project, getting exponentially cheaper everywhere. by the decade. So uh, I, I agree. I agree with Marty. It's a very, uh, it's a very exciting part of Bitcoin that I, I think um, will become more popular to discuss in the near future is the sort of uh, energy geopolitics side of it. Yeah. And again, I don't know if Satoshi could foresee this either, but luckily for us, like the supply schedule is so uh, intensive in the beginning that most Bitcoins is yeah. in the hand of individuals <laughs> and corporations. So the state will be fighting over less and less Bitcoin and have less uh, economic. Yeah, that's, that's the crazy thing I always think about. I mean, they missed the boat. I mean, if governments had wanted yeah. to, they could have accumulated literally all the Bitcoin and killed it early, um, but they didn't. And now you've got whatever it is. I think Nick, Nick Carter has some data on this, but some absurd percentage of, of Bitcoin is not even held by um, regulated entities. Uh, it's in the hands of people. You know, some of them might be government officials or, or, or corporate leaders, but they're, they're individually held. And, you know, there's only so much more Bitcoin to fight over. So there's like, you know, a couple million Bitcoin left to be mined and governments are going to fight really intensely over that over that remaining Bitcoin. Yeah, I think this area is so way. exciting. And uh, so, Marty, I love it when you bring recently been bringing people on to talk about this space and all the activity and uh, yeah, following it very closely. Um, guys, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say it's, I mean, again, the opportunity is massive. It's, it's almost hard to fathom uh, just here in North America. Alone. And it's such an easy sell. <laughs> it's, uh, well, I, 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 in practice, it may be harder because you got to sell people on Bitcoin simultaneously. But just from an economics point of view, it, it seems like it would be an easy sell. It helps you meet you know, your regulatory requirements. It reduces your cleanup costs. It subsidizes this and that. How's it been, how's it been for you guys? selling yeah it's, get, it's, get, it's getting easier i mean 
it's getting easier uh, with the conditions of the market and the oil market specifically. Uh, people are sort of desperate to find alternative streams of revenue. Yeah, I think more people are coming around to Bitcoin just naturally as it, as it gets older. Um, the the natural gas sector, the stranded natural gas sector, is 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 really um, starting to, to come come around to this. It's sort of different than what we're doing on the oil and gas fields. Um, there's a lot of stranded natural gas reserves that are not being utilized at all. That could that could really, with small minimal capital investments, could uh, get Bitcoin mining operations set up and start being turning into productive assets. Um, but yeah, ever since we've sort of come public, we've, we've had a bunch of people reach out yeah. to us. I'm very, very uh, Guys, this is the last question, and I'm going to pose it to each of you. But I'm just wondering, you know, this is the, the Bitcoin renaissance, uh, you know, discussion that we're having. I'm wondering, aside from, you know, let's say your own personal wealth, you know, number go up. Uh, what is it about how you envision a future in which Bitcoin is increasingly... Um, you know, used or a Bitcoin denominated world, what is it that kind of pulls you forward the most, that motivates you the most, that gets you the most excited about the prospects of a world like that? So Guy, I'll, uh, I'll give it to you first. Independence. So just the, the idea, like, like our increasingly interconnected world, um, like this is, uh, uh, kind of goes in line with uh, uh, Marty's we have two paths kind of thing. And it's something I talk about all the time on the show is that like the more connected we are in the digital era, the less independence we kind of naturally have. Like it, it kind of flips the dynamics of the physical world, um, both in the privacy sense and in the, like we are individual sense on its head. And, and it kind of makes the individualism, the thing that we have to go reach and find and privacy, the thing that we have to go reach and find, whereas, whereas it's, it's the default in the physical. Um, we are individuals. We, we, our, our life is private unless we go outside and we yell to the world what the hell we're doing in our bathroom, you know, like, um, and I think the fact that there's the ability to build systems, which can finally extend that into the digital era where, we have privacy, hopefully, like fingers crossed by default, where where we have that which is truly ours in the digital space as it becomes more and more part of our lives as like, you know, we start going to conferences in VR. And, you know, like that, even though we are so much more connected, we can still retain that which makes us who we are as individuals. Um, I, I think every technology that incrementally pushes us closer to that is 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 significant no matter how small um and i think bitcoin is the biggest step in that direction as we have had since the birth of the internet marty yeah i just it, i just want people to get out of the rat race man like uh this doing jobs they don't like to sustain a system that they don't understand and it is only sustainable via consumerism and, and conspicuous consumption so uh there's a lot of i mean there's a lot of people out there struggling working paycheck to paycheck wondering why they can't ever get out of a state of just treading water or or sinking even and so i hope the ability 
provided my sound monetary system in the digital age to accumulate capital and save money to open up your time so that you can do other productive things is what I, I what I, encourages me the most is getting people out of the rat race and instead of thinking about their next paycheck thinking about something creative that they can provide to the world Brady for me intrinsically it's you know my kids their kids uh, future um, hope uh, hope for them hope for a better future and then ex extrinsically extrinsically uh, yeah just the, just human potential being realized uh, on a massive scale um, beautiful art and architecture and projects, uh, people being able to pursue their dreams, their, their artisanry, perfecting it. And, um, just, I mean, imagine, uh, you know, a, a million people that are not dedicating their lives to like creating strange financial products, <laughs> you know, just, just for one little example, uh, and being able to dedicate it to something they're really passionate about, uh, that benefits the world and not just, you know, um, growing some middleman industry. Um, so yeah, a better future for my kids and, and for humanity. Alex. Yeah, I spoke about this in the keynote I gave for Bitcoin magazine having a celebration, but uh, I think there's this really interesting trend in humans where by on the one hand, we have a drift towards authoritarianism uh, and that's kind of where we, where it all began and that force is super strong in our societies and, and in the way we organize ourselves but over time uh humans have created technology to fight that and to liberate one another and that's just an amazing quality of, of humanity so we started with governance and we started with um cleisthenes for example and i know there's there's many other practitioners of what we now call democracy that that were happening simultaneously around the world in Latin America, Africa, Asia. But just just to use Cleisthenes as the example, 2,500 years ago, he came up with the idea that we should be ruled by uh, rules and not by rulers. And of course, like the other, he was one of the elites in, in ancient Greece and the, the other elites were like, you're crazy. And they chased him out. You know, they were like, get out of here. Um, we, want it, we want the power for ourselves. But he came back and he managed to sort of start to implement this idea. And over time, this um, more meritocratic, more democratic way of governing became sort of took root. And, and humans have continued to just chip away at that, despite the fact that those in power, you know, are giving up what, what they have in order to achieve it. It's a very interesting, very kind of inspiring um, trend in history. But over time, now we have half the world living under more or less uh, an open government, right? Where the people can kind of replace their rulers and there's lots of like checks and balances and there's special interests, but there's also free press and there's the business community and the government, everybody's kind of competing and balancing each other out. And that's, that's really healthy for society. And then you had the information movement where it used to be very closed and centralized. And, you know, you had to be elite or wealthy to access the riches of the Library of Alexandria or to become knowledgeable, you had to have a certain class structure or you had to have certain permissions, right? And now today everybody's got, thanks to the printing press and then later the radio, the TV and now the internet, everybody's got the ability to learn about everything and also to have their voice. It's just incredibly powerful, progressive um, trend in, in history. So you have the opening of government and the opening of information. And I, I think that Bitcoin is the opening of money, which is like the third piece of this trinity. And it, it they all kind of like 
interact with each other. They all amplify each other. So we're just now able to get to the third part through Satoshi's invention, but it wasn't possible before. But now we have the opening of money and we have the separation of money from state, which is beginning. And I really think that future societies that have all three are going to lead the world in in terms of happiness, productivity, human thriving, etc. I think you're going to have societies that have one of the three or two of the three, but really the goal will be to have all three, and I think they'll they'll work yeah. very beautifully. In I, lo- I love that. With and, each you other, know, my answer is probably a synthesis of the ones that you all gave. But for me, it's it's just you know it's always been about freedom. You know, I I want to I, I fundamentally believe in what this experience we're having as human beings on earth is. And I'm extremely curious what manifests when we become ever freer to have unrestricted access to joy, education, curiosity, love, beauty, expression, innovation, all of these things. Like what, what is our potential in a seemingly infinite universe? And I think the more we unshackle ourselves from everything that holds us back, whether they be internal or external, the more able we are to explore that potential. And, you know, it, it excites me just saying that because and, and I know it's a it's a journey and perhaps a never ending one. But I'm excited by the prospects of Bitcoin because I think it's an extremely powerful tool in helping to further us down that that pathway and maybe even bring the timeline forward in a very powerful way so um i think that's uh, maybe a good place to close this one out guys uh i very much appreciate you uh, giving me the time today it's always a pleasure to speak with all of you um i know you got lots of stuff uh, to be doing and i just want to say you're, you're all doing great work and i hope you keep it up and uh we'll, we'll chat soon thanks john Sounds good man thanks for having me Thanks, you too, John. Take care. Later, guys. Thanks, John. Thanks for having us. See you guys around. Thank you for listening, everybody. Much love to everybody out there. Don't forget to share this out and subscribe. Want to spread Bitcoin Audible to the farthest reaches of the internet. This is Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And do not forget to protect yourself with the easiest, lowest cost, automated Bitcoin savings plan out there at swanbitcoin.com slash guy. Show some love for the team that is currently making this show possible. Love you all. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, take it easy, everybody.